Welcome to the Soul Talks podcast, where we equip pastors, leaders, and other men and women in ministry to thrive with Jesus in their life and leadership. I have a special invitation for you. I would love for you to join Bill and I and be a part of our Journey of the Soul launch team. What we'd love for you to do is join us in this exclusive launch team. You'll get to be a part of a private Facebook group with us. You'll get a free digital copy of the Leader Guide for Journey of the Soul. And you'll get an invitation for a live webinar that Bill and I are doing just for the launch team members on Group Soul Shepherding. So to do this, what you need to do is pre-order the book, Journey of the Soul, and then upload your receipt to journeyofthesoul.org forward slash launch team. We'll look forward to interacting with you around Journey of the Soul. Now let's join Bill and Christy Galtier, doctors in psychology, spiritual directors, and founders of Soul Shepherding. Well, friends, welcome to Soul Talks. Uh, so glad to have you on this podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking with a good friend of Christie's and mine, John Walton, and the Lord put us together, John, I think about five years ago through our Soul Shepherding Institute and really enjoyed uh, getting to know you uh, better through the Institute retreats and uh, since then in different conversations that we've had. So welcome. Well, thank you so much, Bill, for having me. Yeah, we're going to be talking uh, today about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and his spirituality. And uh, uh, when I asked you about that, John, you uh, were uh, real interested to share about that. I think you said you had a picture of him on your wall there, and he's been a hero to you for many years. Absolutely. I consider myself and many other uh, African-American ministers coming out of uh, the tradition that forged uh, Dr. King. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's uh, give uh, our listeners a little more background. So, uh, John, you're the uh, lead pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Milwaukee. And uh, yeah, tell us a little about that and, and your family and you, also your work with other pastors, because you're you're part of our new Soul Shepherding Network of spiritual directors. You've been through our, our training program and, and you have a ministry to other other pastors, especially African-American pastors, listening, uh, encouraging, praying for them, uh, coaching them, uh, filling their pulpits sometimes, that sort of thing. Yes. Uh, thanks, Bill. Uh, yes, I've uh, been privileged to uh, be senior pastor at Calvary Baptist Church, Milwaukee, Wisconsin now for the past 19 years. Um, and uh, Calvary is the oldest African-American Baptist church in the city of Milwaukee, uh, established in 1895. Um, and I am now the second longest serving pastor uh, in the church's history. Congratulations. And, well, thank you very much. And uh, I give God praise for that. And I thank God for a loving family, for my uh, lovely wife, uh, Mrs. Lori Craig Walton. This coming March, we will be married, Lord willing, 25 years. And awesome. so we celebrate that. And we have uh, four children, uh, three sons, one daughter, ranging uh, in age from 23 to 13. So we're very, very uh, busy. <laughs> Still That's, busy. Yeah. These are, these are busy times. Yeah. <laughs> balancing ministry and the kids. Tell us um, what Dr. King has meant to you in your, your life and your walk with the Lord. 
Well, one of the things that I uh, always admired about Dr. King uh, was that, you know, he told the truth. And he even told the truth in light of his, uh, his calling to preach. He said that he had heard many call stories, and some of the call stories involved men saying that they were sitting there in the pages of the Bible turned by themselves. He said he didn't have that experience. Hmm. And then he said he saw he had heard uh, preachers who were fishermen and the fish jumped out of the bucket after they had been caught. (laughs) He said he didn't have that experience, but he said it was a gradual understanding. It was like God speaking to Hmm. him over time, a gradual Hmm. realization. I think he used those words. And uh, that made me feel very, very comfortable, like, okay, because I heard some of those, you know, fantastic call stories as well. Not Mm -hmm. to say that they weren't true, but I knew that they were not my experience. And so early on in my ministry, that really helped me a lot. Yeah, we can, all of us can relate to that because that's more typically how we uh, experience God and grow spiritually. This is actually one of the themes in our new book, Journey of the Soul. But, you know, walking with Jesus through the course of our life, uh, you know, it's typically when we hear God's voice, it's more that that still small voice comes into our thoughts, into our feelings, maybe through scripture, maybe through a friend, maybe through uh, listening to a bird or, or uh, some random thing that happens. And we get a sense like, you know, I think the Lord's in that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So in terms of your own walk with Jesus, so you're saying that Dr. King's courage to uh, speak the truth uh, in the context of what he's learning in his discipleship to Jesus. And that's something that you've really tried to emulate. Yes. uh, There won't be time to really talk about, you know, Dr. King, because, you know, there's so much, but I would, you know, suggest if it's okay uh, for the listeners, if they wanted to read more about Dr. King, there are three books that I'd like to recommend very, very quickly. The one is entitled The Seminarian by Patrick Parr. The second one would be his autobiography, of course. And the third would be Voice of Deliverance, The Language of King and Its Sources. Mm. Um, and there are, of course, many other books uh, on King. There are his papers, etc. cetera. Um, but one of the things that, um, um, one of the quotes of King that I'd like to share, he said that non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. Mm. And... Um, I really admire uh, Dr. King having come out of the African-American prophetic tradition, not being destructive toward America, but calling America to America's greater good. Yeah, that's a a fine line there, especially in the the prophetic tradition or just all of us, uh, certainly pastors uh, from our, our pulpits and bloggers on our blog and all of us and whatever our circle is, as we seek to speak the truth, finding a way to do that, you know, in love in a way that's not destructive is uh, a challenge. It is indeed. It is indeed. But I think that that he did as well as anyone could do in this last generation. 
Yeah, I, I wonder, I mean, imagine that in these recent times, you know, we, we've had just so much social unrest and uh, issues surfacing that need to be addressed around racism. And and for you as an African-American pastor and a leader in in the city of Milwaukee, I'm sure you've had some big challenges with speaking the truth in love. And so the, uh, Dr. King's example, I imagine, is really with you in that. Absolutely. Our congregation is all persons of color. We have had, over my 19-year tenure, we've had uh, some Caucasian members, etc., but it's always been predominantly um, African-American. And so I do not have, for example, the challenges that a pastor of a multicultural congregation uh, would have. Yeah. So as you're speaking on issues in, in your city, for instance, what I think you're saying is that the combination of Dr. King's courage and truth telling, but doing that in a, a way that is a life-giving or, or loving is uh, something you've really strived to do. Well, certainly I believe, you know, in what Ephesians says in terms of speaking the truth in love. However, uh, what happens is, in terms of racism, is that often persons do not want to hear the truth. And even if it is spoken in love, it is never received right. in that way. Yeah, that, that's a real challenge because we can't control sort of how other people feel. And we don't want to shrink back from speaking what's true, even if it might be upsetting. Uh, and so sometimes the loving thing, the loving message uh, feels uh, disruptive, stressful, even hurtful to people. Yes. And in terms of that, in terms of, you know, and we're speaking primarily about preaching, you know, in this conversation, you know, public address and preaching, once again, the time with God uh, for the preacher in prayer, the mm -hmm. preparation the rereading and rereading, the reading and rereading, excuse me, of scripture and seeking God and saying, okay, God, here I am. And, and, you know, there are times when we may want to preach a message, but God may not have sanctioned us to preach that message. Mm -hmm. And we have to be open. We may be prepared to preach and, and, and it's our role to prepare. But then God may change that message. But mm -hmm. if we have been in our preparation with him, if we have just done the best that we could do and, and been in prayer and seeking his face, then there will be a message, you know, yeah. because the preparation is there, you know. Thank you for saying that, John, because it's something that I've uh, observed about you and admired over the years is that you're you're a very uh, reflective man and you you spend your time in prayer and you spend your time in the word and that that's a those are values that are so important to us in soul shepherding that that we cultivate that that inner journey that intimacy with Jesus and that our our ministry whether as pastors or small group leaders or whatever we're doing as Christ's ambassadors, that our, our, our ministry, our words and our, our work would come out of that abiding in Christ. And gosh, that's so important as it relates to these social justice issues, especially in the current climate, because it's quite, uh, can be quite inflammatory. And it seems that a lot of 
Christians today are, uh, you know, in the, so, the world of social media, it's so everybody's a, a preacher or a, has a platform. Uh, and so we, we can get on there so quickly and pop off, you know, different messages. And your advice and example is so important for us that, well, you know, have we, have we prayed about that? Have we listened to God about that? What does the scripture have to say about that? And, and sometimes we're just so quick to jump into things that it doesn't have that deep, uh, authentic ring of the Holy Spirit that we want coming off of our lives. Right. You know, and I just give honor and glory to God because God does give us experiences and, and God does prepare us. Uh, when I was in undergraduate school, I um, was a leader in a sit-in uh, movement. Uh, an administrator had been removed, etc. And I was one of the African-American student leaders. It was uh, largely an African-American uh, student protest, sit-in, etc. But one of the things I observed in that protest movement was that there were persons who had no foundation other than the issue mm. or the issues. Yeah. And those persons, and I was almost there myself, but because I had a background in Christ, because I was saved, because I was a believer, even though I was at that age where, you know, you're trying to run away from everything your parents have taught you and establish yourself and all of those kinds of things that all pretty much all kids do, I saw amongst the protesters, saw that. I really needed to be established more and more in Christ because by just standing on the issue, I saw, I saw people go through a, a spiritual famine because it's not enough just to stand on the issue. We, mm -hmm. You know, I made up my mind that Christ, he is the one. And my understanding of Christ did come from my African-American heritage and background. I was an African-American boy, young man, et cetera, before I became a Christian. So yeah. all of that is there. Mm -hmm. However, Christ in my heart and in my mind and in what I preach, Christ must be the foundation. Mm. He must be. Yeah, so good. And uh, certainly that was... Abundantly true for Dr. King, you know, he he really uh, put his his teachings uh, and his messages came so largely from uh, the Sermon on the Mount and the person of Jesus. And then secondly, his own spiritual experience, you know, he, he writes about that in some places of where he had a sense of God's presence or heard God's voice. And um, yeah, I wonder what you, you might share along those lines that you've gleaned from Dr. King. Well, there was uh, one experience where his life was under constant threat. Not only his life, but the life of his wife, uh, Mrs. Coretta Scott King, as well as uh, their children. And um, been a recent threat, and he couldn't sleep. And he got up, went into the kitchen, and he said that he, normally he would pray uh, silently. But he said he prayed out loud in the middle of the night in that mm. kitchen. And he heard, after he had prayed, he heard 
what he knew was the voice of God telling him that God was with him and to stand up for justice and mm. to keep doing you know, what he was doing, that God would be with him. And Bill, there's nothing like that. The strength, knowing that that's what inspires me the most, knowing that his life was in danger, knowing that at any moment uh, his life on earth could end, but yet he kept on preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, shining the light uh, of justice uh, on America. But that's what gives me strength is because the gospel must be preached and, and we must preach it in the way the Holy Spirit has led us to preach it. All of our callings are different. That was his calling, and he mm-hmm. did it. That's so important that uh, our, our message, our, our words, our work, that it, it be in the way of Jesus, the way of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I really appreciate that. And your words about Dr. King just uh, reinforcing that his work of social justice was done as a disciple of Jesus, as a student of Jesus, uh, as a, a work that's flowing out from God's kingdom. And I think that that is so important because when we as Christians in any sort of work, uh, including social justice, if we're, if we're not integrated with Jesus in that, we start to get off the rails. Exactly. And that what um, I saw as a young college student, and I realized um, I was also tempted to kind of move away from, once again, the faith of my childhood and et cetera, but um, I'm glad that uh, God kept me. God kept me. God did show me the importance of fighting against racism and racial injustice and mm-hmm. and everything but i'm just so glad that i had been reared in christ and christ was my foundation and that foundation was strong enough to withstand some of the temptations that you know that i went through mm-hmm. yeah listening to you i'm I'm encouraged with just the way you think about things and the way you are serving the Lord uh, in these times that we're in now today uh, with all the social unrest that we have and the issues that are being addressed. Some issues that have not, you know, there was work left over after Dr. King's untimely, horrible, you know, assassination. Uh, He had years left to live and there's more work to be done. And so there's a lot of different leaders picking up that work of social justice and um, especially those that are doing it as we're talking about in, in the name of Jesus. I especially appreciate that. And, you know, when we had all the, all the unrest that began last year, I think the tipping point seems to be the, the George Floyd killing that was just so, uh, so brutal. And uh, I personally was so upset about this, watching that video, and it traumatized me, it outraged me, it, it grieved me, and just it, it kind of put perspective on all the stuff that had been happening, and woke me up more, and made me sad that I hadn't been woken up more before that. And so one of the first things I did was I called you, John, and I, I just, I said, you know, 
I want to listen to you. T- tell me how you're thinking and feeling about what's happened and how it's affecting you and your family and your church. And uh, you're just so gracious to me. And it was just, uh, you, you were pastoring me in that moment. We sort of trade, traded roles there. You know, you, <laughs> you've been learning from me in the Institute, but I, I was just really saying, you know, um, I, I need your I need your help with this issue, John. People are looking to me to say some things, and I don't I don't know what to say. I want to listen to you. Well, I I want to you know thank you for for that phone call uh, and you know the opportunity that we did have to to talk. Yeah. So um, issues have escalated. Even you know we've had even last Tuesday with the, the mob scene and the violence at the Capitol and. Uh, you know, we just had a lot of divisiveness in our culture, our politics, even our, our even our churches and our families. And uh, part of that is probably the background of the pandemic and all the isolation. And uh, there are issues that need to be addressed, but oftentimes the way they're being addressed is not good. And and we've just seen continuing uh, incidents of racism that are horrible. And uh, these are difficult things to talk about, you know, and yet they need to be talked about. And I just would appreciate and our listeners appreciate sort of hearing from you on how this is all affecting you and your family and people in your church. And for us who are listening, we can learn from you in this time. What, what would you want to share? Well, first and foremost, I would like to share that our hope and the ground we stand on, the rock, he is Christ. And he is the one who, by his spirit, by the Holy Spirit, he is able to give us his perspective, which we need. Because it is easy to not want to hear what we do not agree with. That's that's easy. Mm-hmm. But Christ is our uh, reconciler, and as as believers, we need to always, as Galatians six says, we need to, as the household of faith, you know, care for one another, as it says in Galatians six. That being said, I am very well aware of the division uh, in this country, uh, even in the church. I've been listening to church podcasts and, you know, we all listen to an abundance of things. And there are pastors who have had members of their churches say that they were not Republican enough. And the, you know, you had the anti-maskers versus the maskers and Mm -hmm. all of those types of things. In terms of my personal experience what we have seen in terms of the siege on the Capitol, it did not surprise me. Mm. It did not surprise me. I watched my son is home. He's getting ready to go back to college, but we were sitting there together praying and watching. And then we have a godson who is a DC police officer who was dispatched down there and we found out that he was there and we were just praying silently as we were watching racism and racist attitudes and words and all of these things have become emboldened in america to a fever pitch such that 
many African-American people in this country, I once again, I speak for myself, this is my yeah. own opinion, many, I do not believe were surprised with what went on at the Capitol. However, mm. we do know, and I do believe, if that crowd had been of a different hue, we would still be scrubbing the blood off the Capitol. These persons were able to go into the Capitol, go into the chambers, sit at the speaker's desk, go, I mean, just do whatever they wanted to do. And the majority of them were just able to walk down the stairs and go back home and go about their day. Mm. That would not have happened had that been a group of people of color and specifically African-American people. That would not have happened. Uh, so we have a lot to do in this country. There's a lot. Yeah, these are the kinds of things that, that you've been living with uh, personally, uh, you and other African-Americans uh, throughout your lives, th these sorts of uh, disempowerments and discriminations. And uh, yeah, so the, the anger builds and underneath that is a lot of hurt and a lot of crying out to be given equal opportunities and to be respected and be integrated into uh, American culture. You know, yeah. and, you know, the thing about it is, you know, most black people, we, we know, particularly those of us born at a certain time, we know, and our parents told us, you know, you have to be uh, twice as good as your yeah. white counterparts. You, you know, we, we were trained, uh, we yeah. were taught, and, and in many ways, our parents and our grandparents taught us and they trained us to save our lives. Because uh, in America, we know that a chapter in America's history is a black person could be lynched, shot, anything, burned, whatever, uh, without any recourse for the family, etc. Uh, many times. And so that's our history. Yet and still, we, we largely, you know, built the United States of America, our mm -hmm. forebears, etc. And one of the things that I will say, Bill, is that a lot of people talk about and they try to equate African-American people with other European immigrants, but we did not, you know, come here as immigrants. We mm. were brought here. We were mm. brought here. And when we were brought here, we were not seen as people. We were seen as property. Yeah. And yet, yeah. you know, and yet God has given us the strength to survive yeah yeah and um and the spirituality and uh, faith in god of just uh, so many african americans going all the way back to the years of slavery and the civil rights marches and even into today and it's just uh, incredible how much faith in God and uh, spiritual songs and have been a part of your culture. And it's so helpful for me. And I've heard you talk about this before in our private conversations, but I'm about being bilingual or bicultural and raised with such strong ethics around virtue and personal responsibility and being above reproach and trusting in God when things aren't fair or there's discrimination or racism 
And that that makes for for character, for godly character, for the character of love. And and so we so need, John, people like you to have more more influence in America. And yet you shared with me that, you know, in, in different situations, different cities, young African-American boys and girls grow up where they, they don't see any african-american leaders around them in society and, and i think for some some people hearing that it would be sort of a shock to them because they would think about examples of african-american leaders who are in leadership in government or you know in what they're seeing even in movies and things have changed and we're seeing more people of color and so they would think well how could that really be true but yet your experience from the inside is that no that is still true there is still so much oppression and suppression of black leadership in, in our country yes you know and i in terms of well you know um i was born in cleveland ohio and left cleveland after college and journeyed to uh, washington dc to attend howard university for seminary and then up into Boston, uh, where was a student at BU and and pastored a church uh, there for four years prior to coming to Milwaukee. Uh, in terms of similarities, uh, a listener could easily discern that there would be similarities between Milwaukee and Cleveland because they're you know quote unquote Midwest, even though Cleveland is in the Eastern Time Zone. But the difference is is that Whereas uh, Cleveland did have an African-American mayor in late 60s, I believe it was like 1968, uh, Milwaukee has never had an African-American mayor, nor has Milwaukee ever had an African-American white-collar entrepreneurial middle class, whereas Mm -hmm. Cleveland has. And um, so there's some differences there. And so when you hear me speak of that, I, I, that's what I'm speaking of. Uh, Milwaukee, and just you know, Cleveland is, is, is highly segregated as well. But there's something about Milwaukee. We have had so many, and it's actually been you know, documented. We've actually had so many African-American professionals to uh, leave Calvary Baptist Church over the 19 years that I've been there, particularly in the earlier years before we had the recession in those 2003, 2004, 2005. We had a lot of doctors and MBAs and all, you know, African-American folks, and they left and they were able to find better opportunities in places like Charlotte and places like Atlanta, Dallas, you know, some went right down to Chicago, etc. So that's what I'm speaking of. If a person, you know, listener does has never been to Milwaukee, has never really studied Milwaukee, they wouldn't even think, you know, they like you said, I would agree with you. They they would say, no, there's impossible, but there's something about, you know, living in Milwaukee. There's a lot of good in Milwaukee, but uh, that's one of Milwaukee's uh, liabilities. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing that you were saying that I, it would be helpful to come back to a bit, the history of African-Americans and the uh, oppression, it's not just like the past for a couple of reasons. One, history lives on in us through our, through our, through our lineage, through our 
not only through memories, but even probably in ways we don't understand through our genetics. And then, of course, obviously, there are still ways like you're illustrating in, in your city in Milwaukee that, uh, and this would be true in other places, that it's it's still happening. It's still being perpetuated. The injustice is still being perpetuated. And so I think some people who haven't uh, spent enough time, and probably this would especially be white people, Caucasians, where we haven't spent enough time really reflecting or studying or talking with people of color uh, and African-Americans in particular might want to say, oh, well, that's the past and things are so much better now and, and not see that, well, there's been some improvements, but there's a lot more needed. So for African-Americans, what happened on Tuesday is just yet another trauma trigger that, that brings back the previous racism traumas and violence and and incidents of discrimination that they've experienced or their parents experienced or their grandparents experienced. And I mean, even just watching a movie that um, maybe a biopic movie that tells the story of, of, of an African-American, I mean, even that potentially, you know, as they dealt with slavery, you know, in the past or injustice, and you, you see that it's like you, you relate to that and it brings up all of these emotions and it connects to different things that you've experienced in, in your life today, just walking in through the grocery store, for instance, and you, you get a look or a comment. And, and so I, I just think that if we really follow Jesus with a tender heart, an important part of our discipleship is, is listening to these stories and talking with people like you to understand so that we can, so we can be informed and so that we can be respectful and prayerful and, and be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Well, yes. You know, and unfortunately, one of the things that I can say, Bill, is that I don't discuss race with many people because it is traumatic. And it's just like when the woman touched Jesus and the scripture said virtue went out to to discuss race for me, virtue goes out. And so I have to see it as worth it mm -hmm. to have a conversation with mm -hmm. a person about race. What has happened in some of my most unfortunate uh, discussions is a white person will say, okay, now let's move on. Okay, we talked about that. Now let's move on. Now let's move on. And that is profoundly disrespectful. Yeah. It is harmful. And unfortunately, some of these persons are saved. They know Jesus Christ as Savior, but they have no understanding. They, they can tell you how to be saved. Mm -hmm. They can tell you, John 3, 16, they can quote the scripture to you. But as it relates to the social and real people in living, these people cannot relate. I appreciate what you're, you're, what you're saying there. One of the things that makes me think about is as we follow Jesus with a heart of compassion, uh, part of that is, is empathy and it's listening. And empathy never says let's just move on. <laughs> empathy always does the opposite. It says, well, well, tell me more. Because at the heart of empathy in the way of Jesus uh, and the, the scriptures teach, you know, we ask questions and we listen and, and we pray to understand because that's the basis of respect and love is, is uh, knowing and, and relating and, and listening in that way. And so I, I really appreciate the way that you put that. And, you know, we're all, we're all on a, 
on a journey here. And I wonder, as we wrap up here, if you might comment, you know, we've got a new book coming out. We're excited about Journey of the Soul, uh, a practical guide to emotional and spiritual growth. And we look at the Christ stages of faith in our life with Jesus. And, uh, you know, everything that we're talking about here, it relates to the journey of African-American people, their faith journeys, and and really to to all of us as to how we uh, relate to these issues. And so I just think it's important to put that in perspective that we're all on a journey with Jesus and uh, he is working in all of our lives through different circumstances, including oppression and injustice that all of us experience, whatever our, our color or uh, our personality or wherever we live. But for you as, as an African-American man and leading your family in your church and in following Jesus through, through these stages of faith and just the power of being in relationship where you and your wife have a beautiful relationship and, and friendship and you have friends that you talk with and on occasion you and I have, have talked and that, that prospect of having someone that you share your life with, you share your faith journey with and you give each other empathy, you, you pray for each other, you can be as iron sharpens iron. That really helps us to mature through these stages of faith in ways that are emotionally and spiritually healthy. It helps us to, to live out the scriptures. And I uh, just wonder what you might want to comment about that. Well, I just you know want to um, thank God, obviously, and then thank you and Christy and the, and the staff of uh, Soul Shepherding. Soul Shepherding came at a time in my life where really, and, and it may sound very, very dramatic, but of course you understand, Bill, because you've known me for these years. It was like, do I want to live or die? Mm. You know, um, it was like a life and death. It's not like I was laying in a hospital or anything like that, but I was under so much stress and I had a lot of things and um, I'm grateful to God, to you and Christy. I'm grateful to my wife, who being a loving wife and, you know, being my best friend uh, besides Jesus and Jesus is her best friend. And then there's me. <laughs> and yeah. um, and she saw that her husband was hurting. She saw that her husband had some unresolved things going all the way back to my childhood that were affecting me in my adulthood in my husbandhood, in my fatherhood, even being a preacher, being a pastor. There were some things that, you know, I needed to work out. They were limiting me. They were causing me a lot of stress and pain. And she actually found soul shepherding, as you know, Bill, and and the loving community of uh, Calvary Baptist Church. But I was prepared for soul shepherding because I have a spiritual director in Milwaukee for about five years talking to him. That prepared me. And then in soul shepherding, and there's one day that I, you know, will, will probably remember for the rest of my life, I was able to share my story in the company of a group of people who I had grown to care about and to trust. Mm -hmm. And I was able to share that story aloud. And that was life transforming for me and able to then, you know, come back uh, to Milwaukee. And it has been a process because 
childhood trauma and and that stuff is real and that stuff does things to our brains and and it's like you know it does things to our emotions and and I you know through these years even though I consider myself quote unquote a wounded healer what it, it doesn't mean that I'm all together hmm. whatever I still have the scars I still have and some days I don't feel as good as I do other days and sometimes I have this barrage of bad memories but because of soul shepherding because of my spiritual director because of a loving wife because of my supportive four children because of a loving church family and other people who are praying for me because we never know who's praying for us yeah. people who pray for me I'm now no longer bleeding all over the place hmm. Uh, and I give God praise for that. There would be a time when I would talk about things and I would just immediately, you know, go into anger or extreme sadness, tears and everything. Uh, but now, by the grace of God and all the people that I've mentioned, including you and Christy, because of your ministry, I am able now to not share the story all the time, but that story is there. Yeah. And I'm able to have the strength of knowing that that God really is real and God will make a way mm. out of no way. Uh, so good. And uh, things have, have come full circle for you and in, in your personal journey of the soul. And that now you are uh, increasingly being a spiritual director to others. And we're so thankful to have you in our Soul Shepherding Network and to uh, partner with you in ministry so that others, especially African-American pastors, church leaders, ministry spouses, uh, and other leaders in your influence can receive the ministry of spiritual direction and be listened to and receive empathy and re receive guidance in, in their stages of faith and, and, and learning and understanding what God is doing in their life and hearing God's voice and developing a deeper spirituality and a ministry that comes out of that is, you know, Dr. King being an eminent example of that. And so I just, uh, I celebrate that with you, John, and just thank you for inviting me into your story, you and Lori. And uh, we were blessed to have you in our home during that time and would love to be able to do that again. And sometime, uh, It'd be awesome if we could get out to Milwaukee and, and be with uh, your family and uh, maybe share with, with your people. And times like this, I feel so blessed to be a follower of Jesus that I get to uh, meet people like you and journey with you and uh, learn from you and, and worship God uh, and love people with you. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you yeah. so much. Well, thanks so much for being on Soul Talks. It'd be a, a blessing if you would uh, pray for our listeners. Loving and eternal God, we thank you for being our Heavenly Father. We thank you for your compassion, for your understanding. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your Son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We thank you for your Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Right now, God, Thank you for Bill and Christy. Thank you for soul shepherding. Thank you for the entire staff. Thank you for all the listeners. A special prayer now for pastors and ministry leaders mm. 
to be encouraged in their personal lives, in their families, even if they're only a family of one, Hmm. in their ministries. Bless them in their preaching and teaching and caring and coming alongside. We love you. We glorify you. We don't want to forget to be in prayer for our various cities where we reside, this nation, the United States of America, and for your world. We love you, and we say hallelujah to your name, for we consider it done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as a new author, I'm learning a lot about books and publishing, and one of those things that I'm learning is that pre-ordering really is important. And I didn't know this, but I learned that all pre-ordered books count as first-day sales. And that makes a big difference. So you can really help us if you pre-order Journey of the Soul because it will make Journey of the Soul easier to find on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Journey of the Soul is owned by Soul Shepherding. Bill and I wrote it, but we gave the rights to Soul Shepherding. So profits will go to this ministry and support ministry to pastors, to missionaries, to people serving God around the world. You can find out more by visiting journeyofthesoul.org. And thank you so much for journeying with us in Jesus. Thank you for joining us on the Soul Talks podcast. To find out more about growing in your life and leadership, subscribe to the podcast and visit us at soulshepherding.org.